Amen. Thank you, and God bless you for being here today. Welcome to the Harbor Worship Center. I'm Mike Sainz, the lead pastor here, and we are uh, at the very end of the Unshakable series. So let me just say a couple words before we dive off in here. Uh, I really want you, if you would, to participate in our Buy Tree Change of Life. Uh, we only have, I don't know how many trees are left, but there, there's still one for you. We had a little over 200, I think, to start with, and um, all of that is going for a great cause. So you're going to buy a tree anyway. You might as well change a life. So uh, it'll make a huge difference. And uh, so Kelly and I bought ours, you know, it was totally wrapped up. We didn't open up, look at it. We just got it home, said this is the one. It turned out beautiful. I noticed Ken and Tara as I was over at their house last night, wonderful, beautiful tree, about 11 foot tall, and uh, that's huge. You better be careful if you buy one that big. But uh because your house might not be that tall or your ceiling. But nonetheless, uh, we're delighted to talk today. In fact, last week was supposed to be kind of the end of the Unshakable series. But as you know, there were about three chapters in the book because it was 10 and we only run seven weeks or six or something like that. We missed three or four of them. And so I decided to go back. And of course, I've read the whole book. But um, I, I felt like in my study that I would be remiss if I did not visit the storm of disconnection from God. Now we got all kind of storms we've talked about, and I don't want to rehash all of that. I would invite you to go back to our YouTube page or to our Facebook stuff live and so on and so forth and have a look at it because there are tremendous storms that are coming that you'll be able to survive if you're on the right foundation. That's the whole crux of the matter, if you're on the right foundation. If you're on a shoddy foundation, when the storm comes, you're done. You're toast. Have you ever seen, you know, we live in the south, we got some big old tall trees around here. But you know what happens when it rains, 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 rains? You know what our rainy season's like when it just rains and the front yard is just goulash? And then when it's rained like that so hard and, a, you know, just a little bit of wind comes along, 30 mile an hour or something like that, and it'll blow a huge pine tree over or an oak tree. Why? Because the foundation has just gotten so wet, so moist, that it cannot, it's just not strong enough. So let me encourage you to build on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And that foundation, my friend, is strong enough for any of the 10 major storms that are coming our way. Amen. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been to church only to feel like you got nothing out of it when you left? I mean, you left and you just, you felt like I wasted my time today. Has it ever in your mind felt like your prayers wasn't getting beyond the blacked out ceiling? Amen. I, well, you're too spiritual to admit it, but I have felt that way just right there in that office trying to pray and seek the Lord about what I needed to say on this day. And there's times where I prayed and it seemed like, man, I was right there in the middle and, and I was just praying, man, and we was going for it. You've seen the times when you were, it's just like you just could not mess up. And then there's times when heaven was brass and God was so distant, it seemed. Have you ever wondered why that you don't have the passion that you once had for the Lord? Why does all of my attempts to engage him leave me feeling empty and sometimes even wrong? Let me say this. I believe that much of the disconnection that we have comes because of misinformation that we have believed about what a connection with God is. 
We've often been taught that if, if you know, um, if we feel God, everything's good. In other words, if we have the right uh, song is playing, we can feel God when that song plays. Or if we have the right mood or the right speaker or this or that or the other, and we have somehow been misinformed about a connection with God. In other words, this song equals connection with God. This song don't. This church service, that church service. Let me say this. If there was no music, we could still connect with God. If there was no beautiful edifice, we could still connect with God. We've been somehow misinformed and bought into it. So let me, let me just talk about today four misconceptions. Four misconceptions about our relationship with God. In fact, they are so strong of misconceptions that Dr. Searcy calls them myths. That we've just bought into this myth. You, you've seen the series on television, Mythbusters, where they take a myth that has been, you know, purported for years and years, and then they scientifically examine the evidence and say, this is a myth, or else it's confirmed to be a fact, one way or the other. But I believe that we have believed um, some of the myths and that we have a misconception about God and our relationship. So uh, they are more than just misinformation. Uh, they are false truths, if you will. And when we believe these myths, they lead to an incorrect understanding of worship and connection with God. It leads us to think that Christianity is about us and our preferences and our feelings and our experience and what we can get. So let me help you with these misconceptions. Number one, the first misconception is that worship is about me or that worship is about you. That's the first misconception. See, the truth of the matter is that worship is not about you nor I. Worship is all about God. That's right. The danger of making worship about you is that you begin to focus on yourself and on what you want. Even though you profess to worship God, you actually end up worshiping your own self-interest. I didn't say it was going to be easy this morning. But see, we exist, the Bible said, to bring glory and honor and pleasure to our creator, not the other way around. You see, Revelation, John wrote it like this. You, speaking of God, are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The psalmist said, God, it is in you that I live and move and have my being. Paul, the apostle, said, it is I that live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <clears throat> so when we make worship about us, we fall into the trap of judging our worship based upon our feelings. Now I'm plowing somewhere now, so stay with me. We begin to rely upon our emotions to tell us when we have connected with God. Let me tell you about emotions. 
I watched seven overtimes last night on a game that should have ended in regulation. That's all I'm going to say about that. But you cannot rest upon your emotions to get it right. Your emotions is, I've connected with God when they sang I'll Fly Away and Sister Susie ran around the church a time or two. Or we say, I I connected with God when I felt a warming atmosphere and I began to cry. And that may have been a genuine, real connection with God. But I'm saying that we run into a problem when we connect everything emotional and say, God was there today because I felt him. Perhaps God was here today and someone else felt him and you didn't. So let let me just plow through a little bit more here. God is more concerned about the truth concerning him than just a feeling concerning him. He is pleased by our faith, not by our feelings. Did you know there will be times, my friends, when you don't feel like God is in the room? There will be times when you don't feel like God cares. There will be times when you look around and you don't think nobody cares. And then there will be times when you feel like you are alone. God sent me out here but didn't come. Let me remind you of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God sent them into the fire and then showed up in the fire. Let me remind you about the disciples who was out on the sea of Galilee and the storms came and they were never out of the purview of the Son of God. And when they got in trouble, which he allowed, he came walking to them on the sea. He can still walk in the fire and tread upon the water and ride in the clouds. Can you say amen? So he's more concerned though about your faith than he is your feelings. Sometimes we feel like Man, we've got a great connection with God, and if we're not careful, we're riding surely on emotion. Let me move on because I've got some more to get to. You see, as a pastor, there's many times when I see people coming to church looking for something for themselves, and they leave feeling empty, they leave feeling let down because they didn't receive what they were looking for. When we approach God with an attitude like, what you got for me today, God, we'll always walk away feeling empty. Worship is not about us. Worship is about him. And it's only when we ask God, how can I bring you honor today? How can I glorify you today? How can I please you today? How can I be a blessing to someone that don't know you today? How can I show the love of God because I am an ambassador of Christ? How can I glorify you today? How can I give myself more fully to you. So listen, uh, it is not about me. Worship is not about me. Misconception number two. Worship happens only one day a week. That's in bad, we're in bad, 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 bad shape if that's the case because some great Christians only make it church about twice a month. Y'all hear how quiet it got? See, nowadays you got to run a thousand people to have 700 in the building, or more, probably got to run about 1,500 to have, that's just how it is, they say it's almost twice, uh, whatever your attendance number, so if we have 600, they say there's 1,200 people that call the harbor their home, they just ain't always there, that ain't popular, so we'll just move right on, but, but misconception number two, worship happens one day per week, here's the truth, worship is not just for Sunday, worship is for every day, 
King David and the early church understood that worship was an everyday activity. I will praise the Lord at all times and I will constantly speak of his praise. That's what David said. Uh, The Bible says that they prayed without ceasing. They had a joyful song in their heart. But we've come to this place in society where we just do church. Let me me help you. See, part of the reason we think worship happens on Sunday only is because when we have turned into something that we go to rather than something that we are. I'm going to back up and just slow down. Because church has become something that we go to rather than something that we are. We are the church. This is just a building. It is just property. Now, I know God owns it, and I get all of that, but you and I are the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the temple which God dwells in, or not, for those who are lost. Are you with me? What building can you build to contain me, says the Lord? Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. But yet we have equated Sunday, man, if I can just get to the harbor, if I can just get to first AB or first Baptist or whatever, you know, and I'm not knocking none of them. Thank God for all of us. But worship is something you do every day. Why does it take so long to get involved in church? Because you ain't ready when you get here. Now, I understand that's okay for lost people because they don't know no better. But for we who are saved, we should already have, he said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, right? And into his courts with praise. I will come and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless the Lord. But here we go. If they sing the right song, and the bass player gets it just right, and the guitar player can get it just right, and the drummer, you know, and if the sax player don't mess up, then we're going to have church. No. We have church if none of us show up. I'm not saying that's the optimum. I'm saying we lose focus sometimes, and we think worship is just here on Sunday when we got decks going off and Mike and Adam and everybody singing. And I love our praise team. It is a poor rooster that won't crow on his own rooftop. And I believe we have the very best. That said, we can improve. I can say that because I play the bass. You know, I know we can improve. But I'm saying we, we cannot be in the mindset it all happens on Sunday. I want you to be here, don't get me wrong. But I want you to worship on Monday and on Tuesday. You see, the idea is that God does not, he is not contained in the building. Let me say this to you. We have reached a place in Christianity where we think that Christian service and worship is a spectator sport. Now, I love football. But football is about 22 men being on the field in desperate need of rest. And a hundred thousand in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Are y'all with me? That's what it's about. Typically, but see, we've become a spectator sport. We like to watch them. Okay, if they get that solo just right, let's see if Sister Susie gets in the spirit. So if Pastor Sands can get that, man, if he can just make the homily flow just right, and if everything works just right, how's, you know, you see, but it is not a spectator sport like football or baseball. As a matter of fact, Louis Giglio writes this in his work called The Air I, the Air I Breathe. Worship is something that you attend. Listen, 
Excuse me. Worship isn't something that you attend like a movie or a concert. Worship is when you enter into it with all of your might. Worship is a participator sport and not a spectator sport. Worship is when we lay our, we drag our old self right up on the altar and say, here I am, God. You know, whatever you want me to do. It's like Jesus, when he knelt in Gethsemane, he said, Lord, is there any other way that, that I can reconcile man back to you? Is there any other way can this bitter cup possibly pass from me? Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you desire. And when he knew there was no other way, he set his face to go through with it. You see, worship is not just on Sunday, but the Old Testament. Old Testament tells me this. Now, you might not believe it or not, but the New Testament is actually harder than the Old Testament. Y'all with me? Grace has, I know everybody, well, it's all under grace, and you'd love to believe all that. Some of you ain't crazy enough to believe all of that. I, I Listen, the grace of God has appeared to all men. I understand that. He'll forgive us and all of that. But, my friend, there is a possibility of sinning. You will sin, and if you don't get forgiveness, you will go to hell. So anyway, let me move on. But here's what Deuteronomy said. We ought to talk about the Lord, think about the Lord when we wake up in the morning. Uh, when we walk along the way. When we sit down to eat. And when we lay down at night. Four times. Now see, we eat three times a day, some a little bit more. But he said we ought to think about the Lord at least four times during that day. You see these action steps. You need to participate in this. Here's what you ought to try to do. You write this down. Give God the first 15 minutes of your day. So if you've got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, get up at 445. Read the Bible for a chapter or so. Meditate on the Lord for five minutes or so. Pray for five or ten minutes and just, just see what that will do in your life. It will revolutionize your life. Say short prayers throughout the day. Pray at mealtime. Pray at bedtime. Matter of fact, let me show you what Romans 12 said. Here's what Paul said in the Message Bible. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. In other words, everything you do. If you build a table, you know, place it before God as an offering. You see, whatever you do it under the Lord, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, that's what the message uh, Bible said in Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's incredible. You see, we have to take Paul's advice. We're not once a week worshipers. We're everyday worshipers. Misconception number three is that worship is just part of life. And the truth is this. Worship is not part of your life, but worship is all of your life. It's all of your life. Let me explain. See, worship is offering your entire self to God. It's placing yourself square on his altar. You know, worship is a lifestyle. Now, how many of you ever tried dieting? Let me see your hand. Don't worry, we ain't got no scales. Nobody's counting. Here, here's what I know about dieting. It don't work. You know, I, I mean, I, Kelly's told me that for years. And I know that they got Jenny Craig, and I know they got, uh, Lord, I can't even think of all the ones that, you see them on TV, all of them. Man, oh, uh, they ain't hook you up. 
and you, you can buy all kind of equipment and all that, but dieting don't work. It's a matter of, oh, I'm saying you, you might lose 30 pounds, but if you ain't careful, go back to eating the way you did, and you're going to go right back the way you looked. I was told by those who know, it is a lifestyle change. In other words, when I was a little too sweet and, you know, my sugar was a little up, they said, you don't need to eat no more bread. I knew that was not of God to start with. <laughs> Y'all with me? And then they quoted scripture, man shall not live by bread alone, but, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let, let me just say this. Worship is not something, um, you know, here and there. It is a lifestyle. When you make that lifestyle change, like I used to hardly ever drink water. Now, almost all I drink is water. Are you with me? It don't even bother me no more. Hit a little bit of lemon with it and I'm good to go. You got lemonade. Huh? Are you with me? So in the Bible, I want you to understand, here's how they done it. In the Bible, they praised God at home. They praised God at church. They praised him in the courthouse. They praised him in the schoolhouse, on the roadway. They praised him at the cemetery. They praised him at the jailhouse. They worshiped God and gave thanks in every encounter in life. Hello? Now I'm going to give you an exercise here. Try to go to the tag office to get your tag and determine in your heart, I'm going to worship God in Woodbine. And that's close to an impossibility. Now, I done been there. I thought I was going to end up on the other side over there. Anyway, but what he's trying to tell us is that we need to worship God always. It's not just when we feel, here's what he said in Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So have an open conversation with God. Uh, matter of fact, Nelson said, just don't say amen in the morning. Don't close it out. But uh, God, I'll be talking to you here shortly. And on your ride to work, talk to him. Amen. Uh, you, you see, because you can still be working on your job and thinking about the Lord. There's things you can do. So misconception uh, number four. Now, you, some people say, well, I don't know if I could have a conversation with God. People think I'm crazy. Well, they think that about a lot of us anyway. So just go ahead and have your conversation. The fourth misconception, first, if, if I may review some of these, uh, let me tell you, he talked about worship. It's, you know, the first one was worship is about me. Well, the truth is it's not. The second one was it's only on Sunday. It only happens at church, and that's not true. And then it's just part of my life, and that's not true because it's all of your life. And the last misconception or myth is that worship is a religious activity. And this one here really grinds my nerves. Because religion will carry you to hell. I have people all the time say, well, you invite them to church. Or whatever. I'm not a religious person. Well, I'm not either. You're not a religious person. You're a pastor. No, I'm not religious at all. Jesus hated religion. Religion will carry you to hell. I'm, I'm going to help you understand that because I know some of you need it. The truth is that worship is not about religion. Worship is about relationship. Christianity is not a religion. Religion has to do with works and working. Religion is a man-centered situation, whereas Christianity is a relationship situation. Religion says, I work for what happens with God. I work for my pardon. No, 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 you go to work for your paycheck. 
Jesus has already paid for this. All we have to do is accept it and by faith walk in it. I got a little plowing to do, I can tell. Religious worship versus authentic worship. Since religious worship focuses on the acts that people can do, it presses worshipers to play the game of what can I do to make God bless me? In other words, if I just do the right thing, I'll impress God enough to, to bless me. You know? And if I sing the right song, if I can quote enough scripture, if I can give the right amount today, if I take communion often enough and in the right place, and if I'm kneeling just right, and if we participate in all of these nothing more than rituals, I'll get it right, and God will love me. Listen, God couldn't love you anymore regardless of anything. He couldn't love you any less. He loves you perfectly right now. And it's not the posture when you pray, whether I'm kneeling, whether I'm sitting, whether I'm laying or hanging from monkey bars. It doesn't make no difference. The posture has nothing to do with it. You seeing me take communion, although that's a great thing, has nothing to do with it. You see, uh, all of the acts that we think if we do the things just right, you see, authentic worship is pouring yourself out to him regardless if I get my way or not. That's what true worship is, is whether I get my way or not. Whether I get what I'm wanting or not, I'm going to worship God. So remember, it's not about us. It's about him. True worship can happen in the midst of horrible news and bad situations. David found out his son that he prayed for and fasted for a solid week. He found out he died. He got up and shaved himself, bathed, went to the house of God, his a tender said, how, how do you do this? How do you? He said, I'm not God. I cannot bring him back again, but I can live in such a way as to go where he is. Amen. Job sat in sackcloth and ashes, found out that his children were dead, found out that his cattle was gone, his reputation was ruined, and he said, God has given and God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They, these guys found a way to worship no matter what. And then the apostles counted it a joy to be beaten for the Lord. Are you with me? Say amen. They forbid them to preach, but they preached anyway. And then they went to prison unjustly and was glad to do it. You see, but here's the thing. Here's religion. Religious people. You see, the Pharisees, they were one of the, um, one of the parties, kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans and the Independents or whatever. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you, their, their name alone, Sad, you see. <laughs> they were too. Very much so. But the Pharisees had plenty of religion. I mean, the Pharisees, they knew, they knew the book. They knew the law. They knew everything. But Jesus hated the way they acted. He said, you do things to be seen by men. He said, you clean the outside of the cup and the saucer, but inside is full of dead men's bones. Huh? He said, you... you clean up your graves like whited sepulchers. You, you go to them and put bleach on them to bring them back white. He said, but it's still just dead men's bones inside. He said, some of y'all flatter me with your lips and lie to me with your tongue. Jesus said, I see beyond your religiosity and your religious spirit. It's about a relationship, not a religion. 
Someone, well, if I could join the harbor, I got it going on. Listen, there'll be people join the harbor and go to hell. I know somebody's going to take that out of context, but let me just explain this. It is not the harbor that saves you from hell. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. There'll be people that miss heaven that were sitting on church pews because they would not be open to the invitation of the Lord. Listen, he ain't going to make you do it. The Pharisees had religion though. He said, you do things to be seen by men. You put on the phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of your garments and you speak loud and say great prayers like, oh God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yada, 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 yada. Because you like to be seen as a great orator. And what Jesus said is when you got that kind of religious you, spirit, you've got your reward right now. When you do things to be seen of men, he said, that's all you're going to get is that pat on the back so we enjoy it. But if you do something not even caring what people think, whether they see it or not, he said, your father in heaven sees and will reward you. So Pharisees had, oh Lord, he said, not only that, he said in Matthew 23, you Pharisees, you block the entrance into the kingdom. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven for men, who, for you do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow others entering in. In other words, you're doing what you're doing just to be seen of men. And then he says, when you do convert people, you convert them to the wrong side. Matthew 23 and 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel the sea and the land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice the child of hell you are. You didn't want Jesus to be your pastor. I mean, Jesus just told them like it was. He just said, you're a child of hell. Telling Pharisees. He said, when you convert somebody, you make him twice as bad as you are. And then he says, um, you tell lies, woe to you scribes or, or blind guides who say, who, this is in um, verse, or Matthew 23, 16, 17, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. The Pharisees had all sorts of tricks and they would do this and they would do that. But bottom line, Jesus said, y'all are liars, hypocrites. He just told it like it was. He said also in verse 23 of, of Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and deal, and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. But these are things that you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, they paid tithe for the wrong reasons. They want everybody to see their check. You see, we fix that for you, man. You can do it anonymously. You can do it text to give. You can put it in the pocket. We don't care how you do it. Just obey the Lord. But Jesus said, anytime you do something to be seen of men, that's all you got. You see, um, worship is not, you see, it's not a religious act. That's a myth. It's a misconception that when I come to church, you know, this is a religious act. I'm worshiping. No, religion says I have to do something to get something. It's kind of like uh, somebody getting up to hit a sacrifice fly. I got to give up my out to move the man to second base or to move the man from third home. We didn't have to give up nothing. He gave up everything. Are you with me? So he goes a step further and he says in Matthew 23 and 26, he says, you're hypocritical. He said, because even so you outwardly appear to be righteous men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Isn't that, I mean, he just said, you want the world to know you by this. Matter of fact, I got a series coming next year called Vantage Points. Lord gave it to me earlier this year. Has to do with how we see ourselves in one respect versus how God sees us. And if we're not very careful, man, we, we see ourselves with no flaws, man. We, we just, we got everything going on. And matter of fact, we self-proclaim ourselves Christians regardless what we do, how we act, how we live. <clears throat> so Jesus went a step further and he said, you also rejected the prophets. Verse 34, therefore I'm sending you, uh, you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of you will kill them and crucify them and some of you will scourge them in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. And that's what he was telling them. Did you know the Pharisees are the ones basically that, that these are the ones that ended up killing him. Well, he said, they didn't kill me. I laid down my life, and that is true. He said, but you rejected the prophets. Here's what I want you to know. It's four misconceptions. Worship's not about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not that we only worship on Sunday. If you think that, you're in trouble already. And worship is not just a... A one-day experience, it's, an all, it's not just part of life, it's all of my life. And if you read the Word of God every day, you'll understand that. They worship God every day. And then, worship is not a religious act. You see, religion versus relationship. Jesus sees beyond all of our religiosity. He sees beyond anything we, we try to fake him out. You know how it is when, you know, you've been crying, your best friend comes around with somebody else, you sort of, sort of pat your eyes real dry, get you a couple good breaths so you don't sound like your voice is crackling, whatever, huh? And your best friend, they know you and say, what you crying about? Because they know you. They know you. And you try to fake it with God all you want to, but he knows you. He knows exactly where you are. And so for us to try to put on a good show, like the Pharisees, they made sure the, the robe was pressed. They made sure everything was right. The tassels were the right length. The prayers were the right length. They had the right uh, posture. I mean, everything was so perfect for them. And Jesus said, as good as you think you are, you've got it all wrong. He said, because I'm not interested in, in your religion and your rules. They had over 600 laws that they had to make sure they kept up with. And Jesus said, I disdain that kind of foolishness. It's about a relationship with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. And I wonder here, maybe you feel like you've been disconnected from God. I want to give you some steps again, and I want to reiterate them. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here and you say, just pastor, pray for me. I feel like I've been disconnected. Can I see your hand real quick before we go? Several of you, a good number of you. I've been disconnected. I want to challenge you. I, I want you to think about this and maybe even write this down. If you feel that disconnect, I want to urge you, just start with 15 minutes. If you can do more, that's great, but just do this at least. Get up 15 minutes early. And, and just greet the Lord in prayer. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Father. Good morning. I'm about to start my day and I want to start it right. 
I want you to know I love you and I want you to go before me today. I want you to guide my steps. I want you to guard my heart. I want you to guard my lips. I don't want to dishonor you today. I don't want to say things that would bring a reproach to you. I don't want to, I don't want to do any of that, Lord. I want to please you today. I'm going to read some scripture now, Lord, and I want you to just open it up to me. I want you to reveal to me today what you want me to know today. And take that passage of scripture. It might be in the Proverbs. It could be in the Psalm. It could be anywhere. But whatever it is, maybe it's a devotional. And read that. And Lord, what are you saying to me today? I want to honor you today. And then throughout that day, on purpose, just whisper a prayer. It doesn't have to be a minute or three or two, uh, whatever. Just, Just whisper a prayer. And just ask the Lord to help me today. Help me to be an ambassador for you. Help me to help somebody. And of course, when you eat lunch, take a moment, just pray, just be thankful. And then when you get ready to go to bed, just ask the Lord, go with me, Lord, in my sleep. I don't know if I'll wake up tomorrow, but I want everything right between me and you before I lay down tonight. My sister had a pretty major operation three weeks ago. They removed a portion of her colon, and I called her the night before, and I, 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 I introduced it jokingly, but I was very serious in the end. I said, where are you at with you and God? He said, I said, I want to call tonight to talk one more time on this side, because if things don't go well tomorrow, I want to see you on the other side. Are you ready to see me on the other side? Of course, we had a little comical time for a second, and then the seriousness kind of set in that this is real. What if I don't wake back up on this side? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for them to take these few steps, get up 15 minutes early, ask the Lord to guide me through my day, ask the Lord to help me honor Him with my hands, my feet, my lips, and all that I do and say. Read the Bible. Read a devotional, pray over my food, pray over uh, my family before I go to bed. If you can take these things, Lord, and we'll instill these, it will revolutionize our lives. Let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated as AJ comes. Go ahead and give God a hand clap of praise for me.